The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Natural healing is an evolving field with new discoveries coming forward every day. Join us to find out more about the products and methods that will work for you. Welcome to The Power of Natural Healing with Howard Strauss, a program with honest information and straightforward talk that will help you take control of your health. Now, here's your host, Howard Strauss. Welcome to another uh, session of uh, The Power of Natural Healing. I'm Howard Strauss. And boy, do we have a great show for you today. We have Dr. Nicholas Gonzalez, MD. And for those of you in the know, you know that Dr. Gonzalez is a major leader in the, in alternative medicine. And as such, of course, uh, a major, <laughs> a major stumbling block to uh, conventional medicine. Uh, and they've been trying to, t- trying to get rid of him for many years. Unsuccessfully, thank heavens. Um, Dr. Gonzalez graduated from Brown University, Phi Beta Kappa, magna cum laude, with a degree in English literature. Uh, he, he subsequently worked as a journalist, first at Time Incorporated, uh, before pursuing pre-med studies at uh, Columbia University. He then received his medical degree from Cornell University Medical College in 1983 uh, during a postgraduate immunology fellowship under Dr. Robert A. Good, considered the father of modern immunology and for years president of Sloan Kettering, he completed a research study evaluating an aggressive nutritional therapy in the treatment of advanced cancer. That was Dr. Kelly's treatment. As you, as uh, many of you probably know, that was the treatment that Steve McQueen was having such good results uh, on until the doctors in Los Angeles uh, um, made a little mistake. And... Uh, intentional or otherwise, and he hemorrhaged to death. Um, so, so Dr. Gonzalez has been in private practice in New York City, treating patients diagnosed with cancer and other serious degenerative illnesses, and he's been having great success. Uh, that he, he received major uh, major financial support from Procter and Gamble, Gamble, Nestle, and the National Cancer Institute. But um, but there were definite problems with the way that they handled this uh, this this um, research. Uh, we're here to try and set set the record straight and give Dr. Gonzalez uh, a little bit of a forum here to tell you what uh, what he does, what he uh, what happened to him, and uh, what he's uh, what he's embarked on now. I'm proud. I'm I'm honored uh, to call Dr. Gonzalez a friend. And uh, welcome to our show, Dr. Gonzalez. Howard, it's so great to be here, and thank you so much for the opportunity to talk with you and get the word out about what we do. Um, f- first of all, uh, Dr. Gonzalez, uh, y- you're having 
all you're having all this great uh, success, especially with pancreatic cancer, a con- cancer considered virtually intractable by conventional allopathic medicine. Um, how how exactly uh, what 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 is uh, what are the elements of your uh, of your treatment of that? Our program involves three basic components: first, individualized diet, supplement routines including large doses of pancreatic enzymes, and the third component, which the Gerson followers know so well, detoxification routines like the famous or infamous coffee enemas. Um, Basically, Kelly got a lot of his ideas from Gerson, but he kind of changed it somewhat in that we don't have just one diet. We have a variety of diets we use. We use large doses of supplements. And in our program, the main anti-cancer element are the pancreatic enzymes, which we use in large doses taken orally. This is a, a takeoff of Dr. Beard's work from 100 years ago. Dr. Beard was the English scientist who first suggested that pancreatic enzymes have an anti-cancer effect in orthodox physiology. They're known as digestive enzymes. But Beard also claimed they're the main defense against cancer and proved in both laboratory and clinical work that they have a powerful anti-cancer effect. Kelly brought Beard's work into the 20th, late 20th century, and we picked it up from there. And the third component would be routines like the coffee enemas. So it's a three-part program, diet supplements with enemas and the detoxification routines. So it's actually quite similar to the Gerson therapy, but but it's uh, it's it's a it's definitely a a, a departure uh, from from what we do. Um, but but uh, you you have you have success, we have success, and I'm never one to argue with success. I think uh, I think it's wonderful that you were able to alleviate suffering, to bring people back to full and productive lives, and uh, and I know that Kelly uh, Kelly did from your uh, from your book, One Man Alone. Um, could you could you just give us a little bit of uh, appreciation of of how you came to write that book, and and um, what uh, what happened when you when you did and tried to get it published in mainstream media? Yeah, it's it's quite a story when I think of it myself, having lived through it particularly. Um, I I was really very conventional when I started medical school. You know, I'd been a journalist before I went to medical school, as you said, and got interested in medicine because of a number of stories I'd written on cancer research. My orientation wasn't initially alternative, and I went to Cornell because it was associated with Sloan Kettering, which is one of Cornell's teaching hospitals here in Manhattan. And Robert Good was then president, and he kind of adopted me into his research group at the, during my second year of medical school. And just through a series of quirky things, through a journalistic colleague from my prior life, I was introduced to Kelly, who was just coming off that uh, Steve McQueen fiasco, which you alluded to earlier. This was uh, the summer of 1981, and McQueen had died the previous, I think it was the previous November 1980. And Kelly was really devastated. He happened to be in New York, and a friend of mine was thinking about writing a book about him because he'd been blasted in every major media venue. This is before the Internet, but he'd been blasted on TV, the major networks, the major newspapers, as a sleazy quack who killed McQueen. And my friend thought, you know, this might make an interesting book, wanted me to meet with him. I met with him, and within about two minutes, I realized whatever the press said, this is one of the smartest people I'd ever met. And as a journalist, I'd met Nobel Prize winners and successful writers, authors, et cetera. Um, And that led to my investigation of Kelly that summer of 1981, supported by Dr. Good. What began as a simple student project eventually developed into a, a formal research effort, which I completed while I was an immunology fellow under Dr. Good. By that point, Good had been pushed out of Sloan Kettering and had moved down to the University of South Florida. We was set up a bone marrow transplant unit, and I finished my fellowship down there in Florida and basically did a five-year investigation of Kelly's results. I went through thousands, thousands of his records, and immediately from the first time I started going through his records as a medical student in 1981, I could see that he had many, many patients appropriately diagnosed 
with biopsy proof of advanced or poor prognosis cancer who live 5, 10, even more years from diagnosis. And this success could only be attributed to Kelly's program. Now, Good suggested that I put all my results into a monograph form, which I did while I was an immunology fellow, and divided into three components. First, I had a section on the history of Kelly, uh, the background of the detoxification routines, the coffee enemas, the enzymes. But then Good had suggested, interestingly enough, he knew of Gerson's book. He had it in his library, actually, because he was always looking into alternatives, even when he was president of Sloan Kettering, very quietly, of course. Um, and he suggested I find, as Gerson had, 50 cases of patients appropriately diagnosed with advanced cancer who had done well under Kelly's care. And as a third component of the book, he suggested I locate every single patient diagnosed with pancreatic cancer that Kelly had seen in a specified period. We ultimately decided to look into patients treated by Kelly between 1974 and 1982. It was just very arbitrary. We took those eight years. And we followed every single patient that we could find. Now, this in those days, pancreatic cancer was not that common. Kelly didn't really see that many. We could only find 22. But of the compliant patients, and we found a number, the average survival was about eight and a half years. And pancreatic cancer today still has an average median and mean survival in the range of three to six months. And Good had never seen patients So that was like pretty this. spectacular. It was, yeah, as Good said, he'd never seen anything like it in his in his uh, history in medicine. This is a guy who at that time was the most published author in history of medicine and was an extraordinarily uh, good cancer pathologist as well as an immunologist. And he said he'd never seen cases like this. We put all these results together in the monograph and finished it in 1986, but even with good support, and this is a guy who was the most published author in the history of medicine, couldn't get it published either as a complete monograph, as individual case reports, we went to medical publishers, trade publishers, popular publishers. We tried to get case reports in the medical journals, even through very good friends of good. And there were two general responses, that this is, you know, this is 1987 before alternative medicine was such a popular force, that these had to be fake, couldn't be real, that I'd somehow snookered Dr. Good and these cases couldn't be real. <laughs> the second possibility, which is even more frightening, the first one I could assume, you know, I, it, it was a little bit surprising that people would think I would spend five years of my life making up cases and jeopardize my career when I had my career all lined up. It was irrational, but never underestimate the irrationality of scientists. Um, second, the second possibility, which editors said, well-meaning editors who believed it, they said it's so controversial, this again being 1987, that if even if they published it, that their careers would be ruined. They could immediately see that the wrath of the American Cancer Society, the NIH, the NCI, would come right down on them. Um, you know, they saw what had happened with Kelly over the Steve McQueen thing. And so we just couldn't get it published. We spent two years trying to get it published as a full book, as parts of a book, as case reports, unsuccessfully. Put it away, and then finally in 2010, we published it. We rewrote it. I put an introduction from the perspective of 2010, and finally it's out there with the 50 case reports, and we have copies of the records. Now, in the original version... And, and, and it's an outstanding book, and uh, it's called One Man Alone by uh, Dr. Nicholas Gonzalez, and uh, I highly recommend that uh, anybody with any kind of a uh, scientific bent or medical curiosity, of course, that doesn't include most doctors, um, <laughs> with scientific bent or medical curiosity or, uh, or who has any kind of, um, uh, any kind of a cancer challenge, uh, Get and understand this book. It's a wonderful book. It's interesting. One of the patients that I interviewed, I can use her name because she's given me permission. In fact, she wrote a little section on the back cover, so it's not a secret who she is, Arlene Van Stratton. I first spoke with her in 1985 as part of my research investigation and included her as one of the pancreatic patients. She was diagnosed in August of 1982 with metastatic stage 4 pancreatic cancer, adenocarcinoma, which is the most aggressive form, 
into the liver, and they actually biopsied a liver lesion, so there was no question about whether this was really cancer or not. The diagnosis was confirmed at the Mayo Clinic where she went for consultation. And to their credit, the oncologists at Mayo, and they often will do this, if they don't think it's going to work, they'll tell the patient. They told her not to get chemo. Had they done that, she probably would have died. But when she realized the experts couldn't do anything for her, she started going to her local health food stores looking for a way out of this disease and found Kelly's little pamphlet, One, uh, one Answer to Cancer, uh, tracked down Kelly, went on the program, and I follow her today, 29 years later. And wow. I, know, I know of no patient in the conventional world diagnosed with stage 4 pancreatic cancer with biopsy-proven metastases into the liver, confirmed at the Mayo Clinic, alive 29 years later. And I'll say well, this. Much less, 20, even 29 months. <laughs> 29 months. They consider that a miracle. Right. They hold press conferences if they get them a year. Um, here she is, 29 uh, Dr. years Gonzalez, out. Dr. Gonzalez, we're going to have to take a little bit of a break here. Um, uh, we'll, let, we'll, we'll get right back to this right after the break, um, but we have uh, we have about a two-minute break coming up. Uh, this is The Power of Natural Healing uh, with uh, Howard Strauss. I have Nicholas Gonzalez, uh, MD, on the line. He, uh, he is one of the most powerful names in alternative medicine uh, with his cancer treatment, uh, and uh, and we and we we have the great good good uh, good luck and honor to have him on our program today. Um, this uh, program is uh, is sponsored by Gerson Health Media, and you can find us on the web at gersonmedia.org dot uh, com rather gersonmedia.com, um, where Dr. Gonzalez's book, uh, the Trophoblast, uh, which we'll be talking about later, Trophoblast and the Origins of Cancer. Uh, can be found and um, and books and uh, DVDs on uh, Gerson therapy as well. Uh, drop in and uh, say hello to uh, to us at uh, gersonmedia.com. Uh, we'll be back on the other side of the break. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Are you a real sports fan? Get ready to talk football and anything else sports with Kwame Lasseter, formerly with the Arizona Cardinals, San Diego Chargers, and St. Louis Rams. Kwame's got the experience, so he's prepared to talk sports with you every week on Kwame Lasseter's Sports Talk. It's on the Voice America Sports Network every Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time. Get ready for unpredictable fun and sometimes a sarcastic look at the world of sports. That's Kwame Lasseter's Sports Talk on the Voice America Sports Network. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings of the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our wall. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Frankly Speaking About Cancer is a program designed to empower survivors and their caregivers to deal with the social and emotional challenges of cancer. The show will invite physicians, researchers, nurses, social workers, patients, and caregivers to share their advice on how to live a better life with cancer. Join host Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community, Tuesday afternoons at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness.
are listening to The Power of Natural Healing with your host, Howard Strauss. To be a part of our discussion this week, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to info at gersonmedia.com. And now, back to The Power of Natural Healing. Welcome back, everybody. Thank you for joining us. Uh, as you probably, uh, as you probably have heard earlier, the, uh, I have on the, on the line with with me Dr. Nicholas Gonzalez uh, of New York City. Uh, Dr. Gonzalez is uh, the main uh, promoter and uh, user of the Kelly treatment for pancreatic cancer and other cancers uh, nowadays, and uh, he has he has great success with it. And he was just telling us about some of the successes of Kelly that he had um, that he he became aware of back when he was researching Dr. Kelly um, uh, many years ago, uh, and and um, a woman now who has. Uh, who, who is still alive, who has survived for uh, over 29 years uh, after stage four pancreatic, uh, uh, car, uh, p- pancreatic cancer, uh, which is uh, just about uh, 365 times longer than um, most, most patients with that same disease uh, live. They, they live in the order of days rather than uh, years. Do uh, you want to you want to continue that thought? Uh, uh, yeah, well, I was talking about our friend Arlene, the patient you alluded to, and you know, if the conventional doctors had a patient like that, I guarantee they'd be holding press conferences, they'd be on Good Morning America showing the patient off. But because she was treated by an alternative practitioner, nobody cares. Right. And it's really uh, it's really unfortunate. I mean, even you know, I come out of a conventional research background. I had the former president of Sloan Kettering as my research mentor, and I lived in you know I lived in his house. He was like a father figure to me. Um, even with his support, it didn't make any difference. Because, in fact, there are those who think his support of my research is one of the reasons he was pushed out of Sloan Kettering. If you read uh, uh, um, Turner's book, what is it, uh, Racketeering in Medicine, yes. um, he talks in his introduction about he, he was a student of Dr. Good when Good was at the University of Minnesota. And he, he talks about how there are those who believe that Dr. Good's support of unconventional research Led to his demise at Sloan Kettering. I can't take I can't take credit for that. I don't think I was that important. But unquestionably, there were those at Sloan Kettering. I mean, I know that who tried to stop my research even when I was working under the president of Sloan Kettering. Um, you could feel the, the the electric political pressure against anything that smacked of nutrition or was unconventional or alternative or didn't come out of the drug industry. Well, and the, so, and the, you know, I think the problem was that the uh, that Memorial Sloan Kettering uh, was really funded for many years. Uh, I don't probably still is by the Rockefeller Foundation for Medical Research and uh, who owns um, uh, many of the commercial rights for uh, for chemotherapy drugs. So they're they're talking about uh, having spent a hundred years shaping modern medicine to be a profit center and nothing but for the uh, for the Rockefeller Foundation. Whereas whereas uh, I don't know if you're aware that uh, John D. Rockefeller himself, the the founder of the Rockefeller Foundation, and and um, the, the the originator of almost every really dirty business trick there was, um, he while he was destroying eclectic medicine like nutrition and uh, homeopathy and naturopathy and and so forth, while he was destroying that. Uh, he would not let an allopathic doctor near him. Are you aware of that? I was not aware of that. I yeah. know that he worked very hard to destroy homeopathy. He had he had a he stuff. had a naturopath, and was the only doctor he let anywhere near him. And the man survived until 90, age ninety five. 
Um, but because he knew, he knew what he was foisting on the American public. It had nothing to do with healing or health. It had to do with chemistry and, uh, and, and, um, profit. Of course, the, you know, the Rockefeller family made their money in oil and many, if not most pharmaceuticals are derived from petrochemicals. Exactly. As are pesticides. Yeah, so I exactly. can see that, but it's really unfortunate because, you know, he was a very smart man. I mean, anybody as successful as he who came from nothing, yeah, he's got a certain level of intelligence. Absolutely. It's unfortunate that he couldn't channel it in a more productive way. He could have changed, he could have done something so beneficial for medicine, as could have Dr. Good. But in a funny sense, Good was stymied by his board of directors, who a lot of them were Rockefeller appointees. Even uh-huh. today, yep. Rockefeller family in the third and fourth generation has a powerful hold on Sloan Kettering, which is the, the most highly endowed hospital in the world. It's a very highly endowed hospital. They have a lot of money behind it. And as you correctly say, it was originally funded by Rockefeller money to a large extent. And so, and so what Rockefeller said uh, went, and when Rockefeller was talking about building and uh, building and profiting from a, a multi-trillion dollar a year industry, uh, there was no question that uh, that the board of directors and the recipients of their funds and uh, uh, and their their beneficence uh, were, were were going to cross them. No way, no way were they going to turn away tens or hundreds of millions of dollars a year. Oh, yeah, it's billion, and over the years it adds up to billions of dollars, and it's very unfortunate. And I could see even as early as 1987 when the controversies around my Kelly study began to surface, you know, when we tried to get the book published, it wasn't a secret that I'd done this research. Good started getting vitriolic letters from colleagues saying that, I, you know, that he'd been snookered again and that he should dissociate from me completely. And by the mid-1990s, and, you know, he was getting older by that point, Kind of, you mentioned Gonzalez to me. He said, no, no, I don't convey. He was just one of my students. You know, I lived in a guy's house. Uh, oh, he was God. a close personal friend. He, he really like adopted me as one. During my internship, I spent Christmas with Good and his family. I was like the sixth. He had five kids. I was like the sixth child. I actually had the, the position of honor in the family as the wow. kind of like the adopted son. And suddenly the mid nineties come along, all this controversy from the crazies. And he started backing off because, you know, he'd already been pushed out of Sloan Kettering and he, you know, he was up for the Nobel Prize. And he had actually shared with me that he'd been warned that his involvement in work like mine could cost him the Nobel Prize. He was actually nominated three times and didn't win. And he'd had controversies in his life even before I met him because he had a habit of supporting, to his credit, controversial type research. It had actually burned him once back in the early 70s. Well, co- controversial in, in what way? In, in, in the way that it was actually good for health and, and would heal people? Well, yeah, that's well. Controversial means different from the status quo, and in medicine, that's pharmaceuticals. And he, you know, good, good actually believed that the new ideas are not going to come from mainstream medicine. He he understood the philosophy of science very well, and that the, the established ideas are there to you know protect established interests, not to find new truths. And that the new truths are going to come from the weirdest places, you know, uh, like a Gregor Mendel with a bunch of peapod, peapod plants in a monastery outside of the main academic centers. He always believed that brilliant new ideas in cancer research were not going to come out of the mainstream academic centers. Though he, off, though he worked his life in the mainstream academic centers, he was always looking outside, and that got him into trouble, certainly with me. But, you know, the, the conventional medical world is a very strict – it's almost like a religious order. It is and a religious both, order. It is, yeah, it's not – you're right. I should, it's, it actually is a religious order. 
and I've I mean, said yeah, that words words like orthodox medicine and uh, and medical heretic. Uh, uh, those are words of religion, not uh, not science. That's correct. It has nothing to do with truth or anything like that. And certainly, I, li- I lived through that. And I was I come from the inside of that world, so it's not something. And I was in a cave, and these are my thoughts. I was there. I saw it. Yeah. It's like a religion, and they have, you know, you look at Sloan Kettering, It's like a temple. You yeah. actually stand outside yeah. the building on uh, you know First Avenue. It's it's York Avenue. It's like a temple. And they have their own robes, uh, like the priests of the ancient religions, their own the white coats and uh-huh. instruments and their language. own language. Oh, language. Latin. The Latin, just like the Catholic Church. And the scientific terminology that no one but they understands. Yep, yep, yep. And they really, they really want religious law. And, of course, conventional medicine is probably the last religion in America. You know, there's not a journalist who would trust a politician or religious leader. But when it comes to conventional medicine, even the most jaded journalist gets a slow, gets a Sloan Kettering press release and they just reproduce it as if it were true. Right. These are the people they respect and they hold in awe. Uh, you know, these are the people that actually could pass organic chemistry. So there's this undeserved awe about conventional medicine. But it's not scientific. It's a, a kind of a, as you, as you suggest, and I agree completely, it's a religious order. Dr. And Gonzalez, deviate. Dr. Gonzalez, this one man alone, there's an amusing anecdote. We're going to be breaking in a couple minutes, but I, is, it, is it true that that was once hurled at a, at a congressman or a senator in a, in a congressional hearing room? Yeah, it was, actually. Well, can you tell us the background of that? <laughs> what happened? Oh, it was about 1986, the Office of Technology Assessment, which no longer exists, that's a an arm of Congress that was set up specifically by Congress to investigate controversial scientific issues. They got the idea around 1986 that they would start looking into alternative cancer therapies. And I know they, they looked into Gerson to some extent, and they looked into me. And they came out with their, their so-called final report in 1987, but it was a total whitewash. They left out any evidence that would portray any alternative medicine, be it me, Gerson, Brzezinski, in a positive light, and only put in the, the crazy attacks. And when that came out, Congress was so annoyed that they'd done such a corrupt job that they actually held a hearing. Now, I wasn't there. I, I wasn't invited, but there were people I knew that were there. I, I, I guess you, you didn't have to be invited. Anybody could go. But one of my supporters, or I, actually it's not a person I know, but it was a supporter believing what I was doing, took a copy of my Kelly monograph, which was unpublished at the time, and in disgust threw it across the room saying there is evidence that alternatives work. Here it is, and threw it across the room. <laughs> I heard it was quite traumatic because it's That's you know the kind of thing that can get you arrested. Well, it also hit somebody, could knock him out. You know, it was, in a typescript form, it was 500 pages. It was yeah. a pretty thick piece of work, and he had one of my typescripts <laughs> that I'd copied. He just flung it, curled it across the room. I never knew what happened to that particular issue. I suppose it could someday be a museum piece, the one that was thrown across a congressional hearing. So that's a true story. It was confirmed by a number of people. Fortunately, didn't hit anybody. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess so because that that's a massive piece of uh, uh, chunk of paper there. Yeah, it is. It's a big, it's a big, thick book in its original TypeScript form, uh, with the copies of. The well, you know, uh, your your story it doesn't it's it's as as horrible and and uh, disgusting as it makes uh, makes the religion of medicine sound. Um, it's not at all surprising to me because uh, I lived I lived uh, for many years. I mean, at my grandfather's table um, uh, when I was going to school, I stayed with my grandparents, and this this kind of shenanigans, um, all from from the non-publication to the uh, uh, to the accusations, unfounded accusations, and the uh, and the slander and everything else, that was uh, that was a standard operating procedure for him as well. 
Uh, he really so went I, through. I know that you're very. I know that you you identify with that very strongly. Well, I know that uh, Dr. Gerson. I think it was 1943 when he appeared before Congress himself with Claude that was Pepper. 46. Had him down there. That was, it was 46. 46. Yeah. 46. Um, and you know, I guess it was Claude Pepper who was very well known had him come exactly. down there. And, yeah. and you know, one vote in the right direction in the course of cancer research could have been changed had they decided to support Gerson and alternatives and nutritional approaches. But it was voted down. And then, of course, the whole horrible story about how, you know, an inside job, how the manuscript of his book was destroyed. It's just terrific. Yeah. And, uh, you know, all the horrible things that he, your grandfather went through. I mean, he's one of my great heroes and idols. There's no question about it. I mean, I just rever- have reverence for the man, for what he went through. And he never, like Kelly, he never gave up. Unlike Kelly, though, your grandfather was a little bit stronger, and Kelly kind of went off the deep end, but your grandfather never really did. You know, he, he uh, whatever he lived through, he always seemed, from what I've read, you know, completely sane and sober. We're coming Kelly up just, on a, we're coming up on another break, uh, Dr. Gonzalez. Uh, uh, more on this, uh, more on this after the break, and uh, we're we're on the line with uh, Dr. Nicholas Gonzalez. This is the power of natural healing. Uh, with I'm Howard Strauss, your host, and thank you all for joining us. Um, if you want to uh, find out more about uh, uh, about uh, the Gerson therapy, about uh, holistic healing, the uh, Gerson.org and uh, GersonMedia.com uh, has a lot of information, and um, and and um, Dr. Gonzalez has a website www.dr-gonzalez.com, G-O-N-Z-A-L-E-Z.com. Um, so if you want to get his books uh, or find out about Dr. Gonzalez's uh, information, that is, uh, that is the place to go, dr-gonzalez.com. Uh, we'll be back uh, right the other side of the break. Thank you all for uh, joining us. We, uh, we hope you come back. Dr. Gonzalez is a fascinating and a wonderful man and a great friend, and, uh, and, uh, and uh, we're proud to have him on. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health & Wellness. Step into the doorway to conscious choice, greater health, and well-being. Attain the balance that you've been seeking. Tune in and turn on 1111 Talk Radio. Feed the mind. Embrace positively. Release the tension. Step out of fear. Host Simran Singh will help you broaden your mind and open your heart toward a greater understanding of how to take charge of your life. 1111 Talk Radio is here every Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time on 7th Wave Network. 1111 Talk Radio. Because shift happens. If you have a loved one that is undergoing treatment for substance abuse or mental illness, you owe it to them and yourself to tune in to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. This compassionate and educational talk show will help you help those that you love by better understanding their condition and their personal recovery process. Tune in every Monday at 12 noon Pacific Time to One Hour at a Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Recovery begins this hour. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Your life, your health. 
your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to The Power of Natural Healing with your host, Howard Strauss. To be a part of our discussion this week, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to info at gersonmedia.com. And now, back to The Power of Natural Healing. Uh, Welcome back to uh, The Power of Natural Healing. I'm Howard Strauss, your host. And, um, boy, we're having a great show today. Uh, Dr. Nicholas Gonzalez is with us. Uh, he, uh, he is the, um, he's the current, um, uh, promoter and kind of owner of the Kelly treatment, uh, for cancer. That was, uh, the treatment that Steve McQueen was on, uh, while he was, uh, when he had, uh, lung cancer. Um, we've been discussing the, um, we've been discussing the, um, the, 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 oppression and suppression of anything that might work to cure cancer uh, by the conventional medicine medical um, people because it's money-driven medicine that's what it is it's money-driven medicine and uh, let's see what we uh, we were we were talking about uh, uh, about dr. Gerson's um, uh, experience uh, with with the uh, pepper Neely, um, yes uh, committee in 1946 uh, July, uh, July, uh, three, four, uh, sorry, two, three, four, um, or, or it's one, two, three of, um, 1946. Uh, Dr. Gerson appeared before the, before Congress called specifically, uh, Congressional Subcommittee by the Pepper Neely, uh, Congressional, uh, Subcommittee. And they wanted to, uh, start a, um, a large cancer center, appropriate a hundred million dollars for cancer research because they had been very impressed with Dr. Gerson and his work. But the uh, conventional allopathic people, including uh, quite a crew from uh, Memorial Sloan Kettering, sorry, um, came down and they virtually hijacked the meeting, trying to keep Dr. Gerson filibuster him off of the agenda. Um, they were eventually pushed uh, pushed away by, uh, by 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 Senator Pepper, who said, "No, we we brought Dr. Gerson here, and we want to hear his testimony." This is about a hundred pages of testimony that I can. Uh, uh, that that it, that I still have available here, um, the transcript of his testimony. Um, but then, right after the uh, hearings, uh, the the, um, uh, the the allopathic um, uh, group that was there threw a big, big, uh, uh, lavish party, but only for an hour, and on the other side of town for all the reporters uh, that were there, and so. All the reporters said, "Well, you know, uh, do we do we care more about a cure for cancer, or do we care more about uh, booze and free food and uh, and maybe a good time?" And uh, the choice was easy. They all left, and uh, Dr. Gerson, expecting to see a full a full meeting room full of reporters uh, interested in a cure a cure for cancer, uh, walked into an empty room, save for one very bored and impatient reporter who wanted to get to the party. So it was buried. It was literally buried. Yeah, that's a tragic story. And I, uh, during the break, Howard and I were talking about this. I I'd often wondered what had happened to that and whether Pepper had ever followed up. And Howard was telling me that he hadn't, which is really a shame. As a matter of fact, so, some years later, um, some years later, you remember there was a big push. Uh, the, the AMA was uh, <clears throat> was trying to destroy chiropractic. 
and um, and and Pepper was was uh, dragooned into that effort, and he was going around the country holding hearings about um, about the fraud of chiropractic. Well, it's even worse than that because he also held investigations into uh, unconventional medicine himself. In fact, I think it was about 1983-84 that his group came and Congress came out with a report on unconventional quackery. Yeah, um, and he, he had yeah. obviously turned. In fact, in that book, which is so ironic, having had Gerson come down to speak positively about his own work, the same man Pepper supported an investigation where they they promoted people like Victor Herbert, viciously attacking coffee enemas, Gerson, Kelly, and it was that's just when I was beginning my uh, well, well into my research into Kelly, and I was just astonished that someone in Washington would do that. It's the same Claude Pepper who years earlier, you know, 35 years or whatever earlier, had Gerson come down with respect to speak before his committee. Yeah. So it shows that yeah. politicians will change well, on a dime. They, they turned they turned him very very easily, and and there, there was a, a, a doctor a doctor Miley um, who worked with Gerson uh, at at, at um, Gotham Hospital in New York, uh, cancer wing of Gotham Hospital, and they were having very good results and so forth. But and he testified for Gerson. But in, but at the at the hearings, whoever whoever was there um, from allopathic medicine representing allopathic medicine obviously turned him, because from that moment on, uh, he became a um, a dark star nemesis for Gerson for for the rest of Gerson's life. I mean, his own former uh, supporter or That's friend. Right. A friend who testified for him. It's in the transcript. Who testified for him in the uh, at the hearings. He was turned 180 degrees, and I, I suspect very strongly that he was part of the um, part of the plot against Dr. Gerson uh, that eventually led to his death. Yeah, when he was poisoned from what, yeah. I, what I know, your mom told me that story. Yes, exactly. It's really tragic. It's, it's kind of what I went through with Dr. Good. I mean, here's a guy that had me to Christmas dinner with his family. Uh, I lived in his house. He treated me like his son adopted me into his research group when I was just a medical student. And then it's like he didn't want to come near me or even acknowledge that he even knew who I was, having supported my work for five years. It wasn't yeah. a brief thing. Yeah. It was a five-year thing. Well, you know, the, 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 the weight of uh, the, the entire weight of allopathic medicine uh, coming down on you with all four feet, you know what that feels like. And some people can withstand it. You do. Gerson did. But, um, but eventually... And, and you better be careful too, because you know they they do obviously a, a profession, a group, a uh, that that won't stop at at killing millions of people by suppressing cures for diseases, uh, would not stop at uh, killing another one, ten, or a dozen, or a few hundred um, without without even a, a blinking an eye. Yeah, it's interesting. I have a Sloan Kettering story along these lines that has not really been told before. One of my mentors during the 1990s was Ernst Winder, who in 1950, when he was a fourth-year medical student, published the first study linking lung cancer to cigarette smoke. And he subsequently was hired by Sloan Kettering and had a very productive research career there. And it was during the 1950s and early 60s that Winder conclusively proved that cigarette smoking was linked to cancer. That was all his work. Oh, yeah, that'll, that'll get <laughs> well, That's bad. Sloan Kettering was highly funded by the cigarette tobacco course, industry. Yeah. And in 1969, the then president of Sloan Kettering, a guy by the name of Horsfeld, called Winder into his office and said, look, Ernst, and Winder told me the story in detail. He said, you either stop your cigarette research completely and go on to something else like uh, toenail fungus and cancer, or I'm going to fire you. <laughs> he said, I'm going to fire you. Now, Horsfeld's an interesting guy. He smoked four, Winder said he smoked four packs of cigarettes a day, and all his funding came from the tobacco industry. 
And Winder, and this is, you know, a lot of controversial things said about Winder. And, yeah, sometimes he played up to industry, but it was a good supporter of mine and a friend. And he just snubbed his nose at Horsfeld and quit the next day. And this is a guy who'd spent his life, his professional life at Sloan Kettering. He wasn't a, a practitioner. He was a researcher. He was an MD, but he, was a, he, wasn't, he didn't have a practice. He, had no, he actually had no way to make a living. And believe me, in those days, in the 50s and early 60s, researchers at Sloan Kettering, how wealthy, however wealthy the hospital may have been, they didn't get paid that much money. And he sat in the basement, uh, his, uh, the basement of his apartment building where he had rented a, a small room to use as a study. It was an old maid's room that they had in the, in the basement for maids to sleep over. And he had a study. From there, he found at the American Health Foundation that eventually became very prominent until that was eventually sabotaged after Winder died, no longer exists. But he had a very productive career after, you know, uh, he left Sloan Kettering. The irony of that story is about two years after Winder quit, around 1971-72, Horsfeld died of lung cancer, the president of Sloan Kettering that told him to quit his cigarette smoking research. So even at, not even, but especially at the highest levels of the academic medical world, that's where the politics of money, the politics of power really get played out in their most intense I mean, I was just a little player. Ernst Winder was, was lauded. You know, in 1964, the Surgeon General came out with a report on, uh, linking cigarette smoke to cancer. That was the first time the government had acknowledged this linkage. So Winder's work was really pivotal and, you know, saved millions of people who didn't smoke because of his work and whose lives were saved who would never develop cancer. Didn't matter. By 1969, he was told by the President of Sloan to quit his research or hit the trail or he'd be fired. Well, um, you know, uh, the karma, karma works. Um, money, money can only uh, can only protect you so much. But uh, but when you you know when you get cancer, now that's that's the truth. I mean that's the, now you better be talking about the truth. Otherwise you'll die. And these people apparently would rather die and have their families die than uh, than to uh, admit that they were wrong all this, all this time. Look, Robert Good, who was my big supporter about whom we've been talking through this session, right. he developed esophageal cancer, and he yeah. didn't call me, he didn't come, he went the Crazy. conventional way and died like a, I understand it was, a, I, I knew someone, I still had people who knew him, that it was a miserable, horrific death with major surgeries, chemo, radiation, all of that died, miserable death, and to me it was so unnecessary, but he wouldn't come to me because coming to see me might, he still had this hope he would win the Nobel Prize being associated with me, it already perhaps tainted his stay at Sloan Kettering, he would he would rather die than uh, come to me. Oh, God. You know, you know and the so. same thing same thing happened with uh, uh, with Linus Pauling. Linus Pauling, um, you know, he knew about Gerson. Oh, I know but, he did. But he had so invested so much of his reputation in the vitamin C uh, thing, that that um, when he got cancer, he put all you know he he could not admit that that um, that nutrition would have more effect on cancer than uh, than vitamin C because he had invested basically all of the capital that he had, all the intellectual capital he had yeah. in vitamin C. This is a man that won two Nobel prizes. Yeah, two Nobel two, prizes, and he died. Than and he, then he died of uh, colon cancer. So it was, and his wife, his wife died of stomach cancer. Yeah, so he, he was pushing the vibe. So I know he knew about Gerson. He certainly knew about my work and Kelly's work because yeah. Good was actually a friend yeah. of Paulie during the days when Good was still supporting my work. And uh, I, spoke the, I spoke to the head of the uh, Linus Pauling Institute uh, Research Institute when I lived in Palo Alto, um, and I invited him over for an evening, and he, and he absolutely turned me down flat. He said the last guy uh, that that uh, that talked about that. Um, despite a no-cut, absolutely ironclad contract, was fired on the spot the minute he uh, mentioned nutrition. Yeah, that's right. So, you know, I knew Paul, and certainly I respect him, but yeah. in his own way, he was as rigid and authoritarian as yeah. any conventional doctor. I mean, we, of course, he comes out of a very conventional physical chemistry scientific background, 
So, you know, he was, a, he's a, he was a, an academic, academician and professor his life. So he comes out of a very regimented academic life. Um, well, we're coming up. We're coming up on another break, uh, Doctor Gonzalez, and uh, I'm just, you know, this this uh, time is just flying by. I'm, I'm just uh, we're having enjoying, fun, enjoying uh, speaking with you so much. I hope the audience is also enjoying speaking with you. And uh, we invite them, of course, to ask you a question if they'd like. This is Howard Strauss. Uh, I'm on the phone with uh, uh, Doctor Nicholas Gonzalez of New York City, um, uh, a giant in the uh, in the alternative um, cancer healing uh, area. Unusual for an MD, uh, and um, you and and we we uh, um, we're going to be back on the other side of the break with some more fascinating conversation with Dr. Gonzalez. We're sponsored by uh, the Gerson Healing uh, Health Media uh, at gersonmedia.com and the Gerson Institute, gerson.org. Uh, we invite you to come back, join us after the break. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health and Wellness. Hey, did you know Voice America has partnered with the Kidstar Network to expand their reach through Voice America Kids? Voice America Kids will feature talk radio for kids, by kids, along with special event programming and live broadcasts. Each program is conveniently archived for on-demand listening at any time. Please check our archives for the latest events and happenings on voiceamericakids.com. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to The Power of Natural Healing with your host, Howard Strauss. To be a part of our discussion this week, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to info at gersonmedia.com. And now, back to The Power of Natural Healing. Welcome back. This is Howard Strauss, your host, and I'm on the line with uh, Dr. Nicholas Gonzalez, uh, having a having a just a whale of a time here. He's uh, full of information, great information, and um, and uh, a man of great integrity and a good friend. Um, Dr. Gonzalez, um, we've uh, we've seen how Dr. Gerson's work was uh, was sabotaged. You had a you had a study actually. Uh, the NCI actually. St- Began a study uh, of your methods um, to be to do with um, pancreatic cancer, um, and I, I waited and waited, and then I never heard anything out of out of that. Uh, could you could you tell us whatever happened to that? Waiting for Godot, yeah. Waiting yeah, for waiting for Godot. Waiting for it's, it's been what ten years, or oh yeah. Well, it started actually. We wrote the first protocol draft, if you can believe, in September 1997. That's over 14 years ago. That was the first draft. It really got up and running around 1999. These things always take time. Yeah, the great wonderful news is the NCI supported a research study of my work. The horrific, horrendous news is that the NCI supported a research study of my work. <laughs> 
Um, that's the good and the bad news. Yeah. Now, people say, why did you get involved with the, the, you know, those, those, those horrific people? Well, you know, I'm an idealist. I come out of a conventional academic background, and I'm always willing to give uh, people a chance to rise to the occasion. And when we first set up this trial with the NCI, the then president, Richard Klausner, with whom I met directly in Congressman Burton's office, we spent about two hours together. He really seemed sincerely interested, based on the preliminary results of my work, to finance and fund and support a legitimate investigation of my work. The trouble is he subsequently left not too long after that. And the new team that came in, Dr. Isaacs, my colleague in my office here, and I realized immediately were not there to be our friends, that they had a, they had a, what we believe was an agenda, just get rid of this silly stuff and this coffee animus. Um, we fought the battle. I mean, there were many times when we thought about quitting, but then that would have been used against us once we were in. It's like you're kind of like a bad marriage. You get into it, you just stay in it, I guess. Um, we just, uh, you know, we just, uh, we just decided we were going to stay with it. We were going to stay with it, and we did not quit. And uh, but they, they undermined it at every possible opportunity, um, every every possible step. They, they, they sabotaged your study. Yeah, uh, it's very interesting. Of course, it was thought that if we had any involvement in the selection of patients for the study, we would, because we're the unconventional alternative uh, sleaze heads, that we would, we would bring bias into the study. So they turned over the selection of patients to the team at Columbia. The study was run out of Columbia, and the chief of general surgery was the pr- principal investigator. What no one bothered to tell us, in which Dr. Isaacs and I had to find out, is that this gentleman had helped develop the chemo regimen that was being used against us in the study, which is a total conflict of interest and should have precluded him from serving as head of the study. Now, there was a small study. There were only 39 patients ultimately entered to be treated by us and 23 for chemo. There was an imbalance even right there. But most of the patients sent to us were so far gone, we would never even attempt to treat them in our private practice. We had patients that were so sick, they died before they even got their supplement order. But they did a, a nice little trick. They had an intent-to-treat provision in the protocol, which meant that once Columbia accepted a patient into the, into the trial, from that moment they were considered as treated. Even if they died hit, getting hit by a car on the way to my office before they were even treated, they would be considered a Gonzalez treatment failure. So what the Columbia team did is they sent patients to us who were so sick, which we would never try, whom we would never try to treat in our private practice. People were dying before they even could start the therapy, and they were considered Gonzalez treatment failures. Um, the other thing that was uh, an, interesting, an interesting little trick is patients had to be admitted within eight weeks of diagnosis. We were dealing with patients with advanced pancreatic cancer. The average survival was only two to three months. And they had to be entered into the study within eight weeks, which even then we thought was a little bit too liberal. But what the chief investigator did is patients had to go through him in order to get into the trial, and he would keep patients who were going to be assigned to our arm, the nutrition arm, waiting four and five weeks before he would make his decision about their eligibility, during which time they were getting no treatment. And just about as the eight-week cutoff was about to be approached, he would send them to us as approved and tell us to treat them. You know, th- this, this, this is a kind of a backhanded compliment, isn't it? Uh, <clears throat> because if they had to work so hard, to sabotage right. your 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 therapy, then they certainly had some concern that, that it, would it would that it would show up very much very much better than any kind of conventional uh, therapy. So, you know, I would accept that as a great compliment, oh, yeah. uh, just like just like they did uh, with Gerson. In other words, they had to sabotage any right. test so severely in order for it not to work That's that right. uh, that it showed that they were really really uh, confident that it would if they did, right. it pro- did it properly. You're absolutely correct. Whether it was conscious or unconscious, if they thought my stuff was really the joke that they pretend they think it is, they should they have done it exactly right. Why work so hard? 
why why put people's lives why put your own reputation at, at risk exactly. by violating the protocol? Why do that unless you were afraid? Now, interestingly enough, even though they did that, we did have patients that complied and responded. In fact, at the time the study ended in 2006, the longest survivors were ours. We had a patient three and a half years out, and this is all stage four pancreatic cancer. Yeah. Now, to put that in perspective, in the latest big time chemo study of uh, pancreatic cancer, the latest drug approved for pancreatic cancer is Gemzar. In the studies from the late 90s about Gemzar, the longer survivor in all their studies was 19 months. And we had patients, and they had one study with 126 patients, and the longer survivor was 19 months. Of our little group of 39, we had patients lasting two or three years, despite the sabotage. So the longest survivors were ours, despite the extraordinary heroic efforts at undermining the yeah, study. Yeah, yeah. It took heroic effort, believe me. And even doing that, we still had responders, which they chose to ignore in the publication. Yeah, exactly, piece. ignore it. Yeah, so so it's 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 clear this is a kangaroo court. There's no, and then for them to for them to say we're unscientific, is just uh, you know you have to laugh if it weren't so if it weren't so incredibly uh, painful that that people people are dying out there. Well, we, they have a different definition of science than you and I do. You and I, when we talk about science, we talk about the objective, unbiased, unemotional evaluation of data. When they talk about science, they mean the, the same religious fanaticism for the drug treatment that they assume everyone should have. Yeah. And they just don't understand heretics like you or me or Gerson or Kelly who absolutely just – Turn away from the god of conventional medicine. They just yeah. don't understand it. We're going to have to uh, leave it there, uh, Nick. It's a. It's just been absolutely fa- a joy uh, having you on the program. What I what I want you to do is I want you to say your your website so people can uh, find out more about your treatment, about your books, and so forth. It's www.dr-gonzalez g o n z a l e z dot com. www.dr-gonzalez Com. And and the and the books that you have written, um, uh, the Trophoblast and the Origins of Cancer, that set my hair on fire when I when I started reading it, and it just it, it just lit all kinds of you know ideas and connections together for me. Uh, and um, One Man Alone, you can buy them on that on that uh, uh, on that website. Yeah, you can get them on our website or through Amazon. Amazon They're available great. on Amazon. And then um, you you also republished Dr. Beard's book as well, which is uh, you know beautiful job, wonderfully uh, wonderfully done. Yeah, we got an original copy of his 1911 book, The Enzyme Treatment of Cancer, with yeah. modern computer technology. We were able to reproduce it even. Oh, with the excellent! Yeah, beautifully done, nice paper and and well presented. Everything. Uh, I I my hats off to you. Um, I'm, I'm I'm just so impressed with everything you've done. Um, it, it's it's really it's once again it's been a pleasure uh, and nice to talk to you again, friend. And um, and, and a lot of a lot of good information that you passed along. Um, and I I certainly wish you all the best. I, I'm looking forward to your next book, and the, your next book is going to be about your um, your experience with the NCI. Is that correct? Oh, you bet. Yeah, that's that's. I was working on it this morning. It's coming to an end. It's 710 pages typescript. It's oh, I can't wait. One. I cannot and, wait. And and uh, when will this be out? Well, uh, hopefully in the next three months. And this will find. If anyone has any illusion that the conventional medical world consists of honest men of integrity trying to find scientific truth for the benefit of patients, this will do it. This will <laughs> disavow them of that childhood illusion. 
um, because we just because I work right to the top of the NCI and the NIH. I know them. We work with them. We saw how they not only sabotaged but then tried to cover it up right to the top. Oh yeah, it's all okay. there. We we got the documentation. They made the terrible mistake of thinking I'm so stupid I could never fr- figure out the trail because they assumed I was so stupid. They were very careless. So well, <laughs> as dumb as they I, may think I, I am, we were I able to wait. find the evidence. I can't wait, uh, Doctor Gonzalez. A real pleasure having you on. An honor and a pleasure. And uh, and I um, I express my gratitude and the gratitude of everyone listening uh, that you took your time and uh, and 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 helped us with uh, with with understanding uh, this this uh, this whole the cancer problem and um, being being more of a political than a physical problem. Uh, this is the power of natural healing uh, with Howard Strauss, and we invite you to come back uh, uh, next week as well. Uh, we uh, we will have we will have um, Dr. Carolyn Dean on next week. A uh, very uh, very interesting lady. And uh, no, I'm sorry. Uh, we'll, we'll have uh, Joyce Riley on next week. Uh, she, oh, she's also very very interesting. And Dr. Carolyn Dean the following week. So um, please come and join us and um, and learn more about natural healing. This is Howard Strauss. Thanks for having uh, thanks for having me in your uh, in your life and uh, and uh, be well. We hope you've enjoyed this week's edition of The Power of Natural Healing with Howard Strauss. Please join us again next Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Until that time, have a healthy, happy week.